Welcome, Iowa innovators, educators, entrepreneurs, ecosystem builders, and anyone who is interested in finding fresh ways of doing the work that they do right here in Iowa. This is Iowa Innovation, powered by Nubico and sponsored by Nine Master Good, where we talk to leaders in innovation, education, and entrepreneurship. I am Rob Merritt, and today we're joined by uh, one of those longtime leaders in innovation and entrepreneurship. Uh, Eric Engelman is in the studio with us. Eric, how are you doing this morning? I'm good, thank you. Uh, Eric is going to be chatting with us about some developments that are happening with the uh, ISA Ventures Fund, which is a very, very exciting thing that was started about, uh, Eric, how long ago did that kick off? We started ISA Ventures in uh, 2020. And yeah, and so for uh, about uh, two and a half years now, that thing has been going strong, and there have been some recent developments that we will get into. Uh, for those of you who don't know Eric Engelman, and I can't imagine there's anyone out there who doesn't, but if there is someone who doesn't, uh, Eric has been a longtime entrepreneur in the eastern Iowa area. Uh, Eric has brought us things like Geonetric, uh, Nuboco itself, and, uh, and Eric is the one who brought me on board the Nuboco team three years ago. So uh, I've actually been itching for a while to get Eric onto the podcast, and we're excited to finally have him here. So with that, let's innovate, Iowa. This show is sponsored by Nymaster Good, Iowa's largest law firm with offices in Des Moines, Cedar Rapids, and Ames. Nymaster's cutting-edge, positive legal approach has helped businesses of all sizes succeed for more than 100 years. And with more than 70 practice areas, Nymaster has attorneys with expertise in all areas of the law, including corporate structure, capital raising, intellectual property protection, tax planning, employee benefits, labor and employment law, government relations, and litigation. Eric, I imagine as someone who works with a lot of founders that uh, pretty much everything I just listed off is stuff that you constantly are having, you're constantly seeing entrepreneurs having to look into. Absolutely. Uh, you know, from the very beginning, we really recommend that founders uh, find a really good attorney to help them with formation uh, because those decisions are really hard to change. You know, you're going to incorporate somewhere in some state in some format and there are pros and cons to all of them. And you want somebody who can help talk through all of those. Um, with you. Um, you know, founders, as the business grows, uh, they're going to need contracts written. They're going to need uh, advice uh, when a joint venture opportunity comes together. Uh, they're going to need advice when they're raising capital. In fact, you always want your own uh, attorney looking at all that stuff. You never, as nice as I'd like to think we are as investors, uh, you want to rely on your own counsel uh, who's representing your best interest as you negotiate those deals uh, when you raise capital. Um, you know, when you're hiring someone, you need HR documents done correctly and properly and employee handbooks and all those kinds of things. So absolutely having the right uh, legal counsel available to you is absolutely crucial. Yeah, it's funny. People think, oh, you know, I, I'm not going to need a lawyer unless I get sued for mm -hmm. something. And it's like, no, 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 you're, you're going to need them very proactively for a lot of little things that yeah. you might not even think of. Hopefully you never need one because you never get sued. But, uh, you know, it realistically having uh, uh, the right people to call and knowing who to call at the right day is, is really critical. If you'd like to know more, visit nymaster.com. That's N-Y-E-Master.com to learn what Nymaster Good can do for you. So, Eric, welcome to the studio. Morning, Rob. <laughs> well, I just, we'll just jump right into it. Um, no, seriously, I, I am really excited to have you here. I have certainly, uh, I've, I've certainly seen you do a lot of... Uh, 
uh, founder firesides at One Million Cups, and we've worked together for quite some time, but I've never actually gotten the chance to sit down with you in a studio and talk about what you do, and uh, and so this is going to be a really cool conversation. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Um, so I guess one of the, the first things that uh, we wanted to talk about how... Um, how Ice Adventures is going to be working with CareSource, uh, who just launched an opportunity investment fund. Um, but before we get into that, um, for those who maybe aren't aware of the Ice Adventures fund or, or how it got going, can you kind of walk us through a little bit about how, well, first of all, what that fund is and how it came to be? Yeah, sure thing. We started, uh, you know, if you, way back, uh, Nuboco started in 2014, and with that, we had iOS Startup Accelerator. That's where the ISA comes from. And, uh, you know, with that, in 2014, we raised a little bit of money. It was a $1.7 million fund meant to invest in the earliest stage, insanely high-risk sort of class of companies. And if you can kind of get the idea, $1.7 million doesn't go that far when you're investing in many companies. In fact, we invested in more than 40 so it was pretty small numbers, right? We're often the very first check in the door for some companies just to sort of see if there's any any there there, really. We did that from 2014 to 2019, and that's when ISA Ventures, uh, we, we said this worked. Uh, a lot of the things we tried to do, uh, we accomplished what we set out to do. And therefore, we want to build a venture fund that's much bigger. Still small in the venture world, but big for Iowa. Uh, so we ended up with a $22 million venture fund called ISA Ventures with the idea that some of the companies that were getting dollars from ISA Ventures were participating in Iowa Startup Accelerator or some of the programming that we were building along the way. So ISA Ventures invests about one-third of the money in that same class of that $22 million, about one-third of it. We'll go to really early stage, very, very young companies, typically twenty-five dollars to $100,000. Uh, then we have sort of a group in the middle. These are companies that have some early revenue and demonstrating some growth trajectory. We're investing, you know, 100 to maybe a quarter of a million, maybe half a million dollars. And then we have a handful where we're really swinging big and we'll put a million or more uh, into that investment. And you and I have, have talked a few times about what some of the, the specific fundraising challenges are for businesses that are getting going, how, how long it is before a business finally is able to turn a profit, what some of the end goals of entrepreneurs are. But um, in your work with entrepreneurs, what are some of the most common early challenges that startups face? Uh, like, you know, somebody's like, I've got this idea, I'm going to try to make this happen. Uh, what are like some of the most common obstacles that they run into right off the bat when they do that? Well, I mean, entrepreneurs sort of by definition have 99 problems and, you know, you can't solve them all all at once. One of the problems they face is just figuring out how they're going to get the ball rolling. And often that that manifests as this challenge of saying, well, do I just do this as a side hustle? Am I in full time on this? But then I need some money and maybe I don't have enough savings. Do I have any rich friends and family to help me out? Or maybe there's some grant programs or something like that. And then you have the founders who are like, I want to shoot the moon. I want to go really high risk. I'm willing to sell a lot of my company to investors in order to have the capital to do it. And that's one of those decisions where kind of once you choose one of the paths, it's, it's difficult to change. So we spend a, a fair amount of time just with founders talking through which kind of business do you want to be. That third category is the category that typically ISA Ventures is most interested in. But we work with a lot of founders who are in that sort of middle category too where hey, they maybe need to raise some money and we can at least point them to some resources that can help them get a business built because as Iowans, we want to see more entrepreneurs building companies in Iowa, whether they're venture-backed or not. So That's actually something that uh, I know you've always been very passionate about is trying to keep businesses in Iowa that if they can't, you know, they um, that businesses grow to a certain point 
And once they get to that point, it's like, okay, if we're going to grow to the next level, we feel like we need to leave for a bigger market. And that this fund was uh, a big part of trying to stop that. Um, as you think about some of the companies that were helped by this fund very early on, um, that have now been going for a few for a few years, uh, what kind of impact are you seeing uh, since this since this fund started? Since it started helping people, is it in fact accomplishing what you were hoping it would do? Um, I'm going to answer a different question, then come to that one if that's okay. Absolutely. So you, you sort of talked about the idea that we want to prevent founders from leaving. And that's, I suppose at the end, I guess that's technically true, but I, I maybe want to think about it, maybe reframe that in a little bit different way. Sure. I think the reason some of the founders in that I can think of off the top of my head who ended up going somewhere else, they left for reasons that I thought were something that Iowa could solve, but it was a legitimate issue, um, right? It was, there were programs or capabilities or maybe industry expertise that they had easier access to. In example, I'm thinking of, it was in... Um, like Chattanooga. They moved to Chattanooga. Another guy, uh, I remember moving to his business, I want to say to Nashville or Memphis somewhere, both in the same neck of the woods. And I like the, the takeaway I had from that was the people there, either through luck or intention, they had designed uh, components of the ecosystem that were ready for that. And they were able to provide those resources in a way that they could articulate that were accessible. And that just wasn't as true in the state of Iowa. Now, whether that was really the case or that was the way the founder perceived it, right? They left because they thought that was what was best for their business. And at no time would I say you should stay in Iowa if it's not best for your business, right? If you need to move to Minneapolis because you're doing something where people in Minneapolis can help you, I mean, you should do that. I want you to be successful in your business. I hope Iowa is the place where you can do it. So I feel like the story we're telling or, you know, when I think about the big project of the last eight years between Nuvo Co. and ISA Ventures, right? This is how can we make sure Iowa has the resources and assets to support entrepreneurs to let them let them stay here and help them build their businesses here. So it's a subtle distinction, but I think it's kind of an important idea. No, that absolutely makes sense. Um, I mean, and that goes back to where Nuvo Co. itself came from. Yep. And uh, which kind of along those lines, I mean... When you when you created Nuboco, um, there's a lot of people who don't even know that origin story. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think there are some very similar themes between that and then later on the creation of of Ice Adventures. For sure, yeah, and you know, there, you know, Nuboco came about for a number of serendipitous things that all happened in about a year and a half. Uh, one of them was, you know, I built uh, the software company that I'd, I'd founded 15 years before, and it, it just sort of reached a point where it was it was big. And I, I didn't like it, right? It's like suddenly there's structure and hierarchy and, you know, uh, HR stuff and administrative things. I'm like, this isn't the fun stuff that I like. I like working with early stage stuff. The second was uh, there was a conference in Des Moines called Think Iowa. Um, and I've had multiple people in the last couple of months even just refer back to that being this moment where this light bulb went off, right? And, and so the power of events to just trigger reactions in people is something I, I took away from that. But specifically, there was a guy there named uh, Brad Feld, who I didn't know who he was at the time, but turns out he was and still is a pretty famous venture capitalist. And he just talked about, he was releasing a book uh, called Startup Communities. And he was talking about the ways that communities can and should support entrepreneurs. And it was like, whoa, I don't think anybody in Iowa is talking the way this guy's talking. And it kind of makes me mad. Uh, the other was uh, we'd observed different programs in other states, uh, in particular uh, a Techstars program in Boulder originally, um, and uh, another program in Lincoln, another one in Omaha. It was like there were communities that were creating these assets and resources, and nobody that I knew of in eastern Iowa was talking about that stuff. 
And I think we just took away from that this idea that, hey, um, maybe that's the thing. Instead of the business that I'd built that I was kind of getting bored with, maybe I could throw myself at this other problem and uh, found some folks who, who believed in it. And that was basically how uh, the original concept of Nuboco came to be, although it wasn't called Nuboco when we founded it. In fact, it was called Iowa Startup Accelerator. It was We knew we would expand past that because we knew the problems were systemic and broader than what an accelerator would solve on its own. But we saw ISA as a concept for coalescing the resources maybe that founders needed at a point in time. And, you know, there was no program like it anywhere in the state uh, in 2014. Now there's several. But uh, the idea was pull the mentors, pull the capital, pull the educational components, the support resources together for founders. Um, and maybe back to the question that you asked that I didn't answer, has it been successful? Partially, yeah. I mean, I think uh, like any new organization, we were and still are learning ways to be better at what we do. But there's been some great companies that have grown from that who've you know, hired great talent, some in Iowa, some not in Iowa. And uh, you know, I'm really proud of the progress that uh, those companies have, have pulled together. And I would say the founders that have been through those programs, uh, sure, they would have critiques along the way of things they wished were different or better. So do I. Uh, but broadly speaking, there's some people who I think look back on it and say that that changed my life. It gave me a whole new direction and maybe the confidence to proceed on something that I didn't know know that I could do. Well, along those lines of, of learning what works, what doesn't, uh, what are some of those lessons that you've learned specific to the venture fund since it began? Um, now that you have this resource that you can help entrepreneurs with, uh, what are some things that you have discovered worked and didn't work since the launch of that fund? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question uh, because there's a lot of things that work, but I, we think of always ways that they could be better. And, uh, you know, over, it takes time to build those, those kinds of things um, to get there. So for, for clarity, too, it's, it's important that the way that we're supporting entrepreneurs is sort of a mashup. ISA Ventures' role is to provide the capital side of things um, and, you know, sometimes pieces of the educational components around how and when to raise capital. How do you work with investors? How do you do, get that side together? Whereas Nuboco still runs Iowa Startup Accelerator today and provides a lot of the mentoring and coaching for, for founders. And it's very much collaborative kind of thing, which I think is, is kind of unique, right? Mm -hmm. It's two different entities joined at the hip. We work in the same building when we're together in person um, with the same end goal, right? Which is successful founders, right? From the investor side, that's because investors want to make money. Um, and the nonprofit side, it's about, hey, how do we help these founders grow in our communities, gain the skills, hire the workforce, build the, the workforce that we need? And ultimately, when they sell that business, they'll sort of churn out and, uh, you know, start something new or join some other company. So what, what are some of the things you've learned oh, yeah, uh, that, that yeah. work or, or things you've learned? They're like, hey, we're not doing that again. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the, the theories we had going into it was um, so our that first fund, the one point seven million dollar fund in 2014. One of the flaws that we saw very quickly in that model was we're able to put a very small check in um, and we're basically paying the price to find out who's going to make it and who's not. Right. So we're the crazy high risk people putting money in and knowing that a lot of them are not going to work. Uh, but then, you know, six months later or 12 months later, you'd look back at that group and say, we invested in 10 companies. Here are the two winners. And then somebody else gets to invest at that point. And it's sort of like, well, as investors and even as a community, like that seems like a bad idea, right? There's no, we didn't have the ability to follow on invest in those companies and help them grow. 
to accomplish their goals. And our investors didn't really have a mechanism to let them invest after they'd already paid to sort of sift the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, and, uh, and, and do that. So the, the new fund, when we designed it, the idea was, well, we would make a lot of those investments again, um, but we'd have the ability to follow on at least once and maybe two more times, writing successively larger checks as companies uh, met the milestones um, that they, they hit. And, uh, and that's, that's worked pretty well overall. Uh, you know, one of the things that we're, we're maybe realizing is the economic sort of up and down that's going on right now is changing and sort of stretching those companies' need for capital in ways that maybe we didn't anticipate. I don't know, and you can really anticipate that necessarily, but, you know, a lot of the companies are looking for temporary funding to help them maybe reach a certain milestone or a certain goal that was not part of their original plan. And, um, you know, our fund is only so big. $22 million is adorably small in the venture capital industry. And yet, you know, we've got 37 companies that we're working with right now um, through that, ranging from $25,000 checks up to $1.3 million um, in, in different investments. And so the, the, I think the answer to your question, clearly, uh, this idea of being able to invest multiple times is really critical. And yet it's also really hard to do because we can't invest in all of them. Um, even if there, there may be more good opportunities for follow-on investment than our fund can do. So we've spent a lot of time maybe addressing that by building relationships with other investors who can come in and maybe fill those, um, those opportunities. Yeah. I've often, heard, um, uh, I've often heard people say that you'll have an entrepreneur who is interested in being part of the accelerator or, or wants to apply for the venture fund. And that sometimes the response back will be, well, you're not really ready for that step yet. You, mm -hmm. what, what is required in order for a company to be ready to go to that level? What do they need to do on their own before they could come to you and say, hey, I need help getting to the next step? And kind of how do you figure out that criteria of, yeah, you're ready, you're really not yet, but come back? Yeah, that, that's a, it was a really, really good question. It's challenging to answer because the answer is, is different based on... Um, you know, maybe the stage of the company and, and what they're looking for. So I guess the first piece would be if you, your thought is, hey, I need some help. I mean, I would say reach out um, anyway. Don't don't hesitate to ask. I think a lot of founders feel like, well, that's a venture capitalist. I couldn't ask a question there. And th there are a lot of venture funds who like just don't answer or um, won't be very helpful on purpose. Uh, you know, we see because of our relationship with Nubico, we see part of our role as saying, look, I understand what you're trying to do, but you know, a venture fund is probably not right for you, but here's some resources to start from. Here's a, a person you should talk to to take the next step. So, I mean, I, I would say don't hesitate to reach out at all um, because we're happy to tell you um, or at least point you to some resources if we can. Now, the, the, to sort of use the same sort of three buckets I used before might be a way to think about uh, how ready people are um, for that. So the, the earliest program, the Iowa Startup Accelerator program, that's where we're writing usually pretty small checks. And that's for companies that for the most part are pre-revenue. They're often idea stage, right? This is where a founder says, I've got this idea, I'm thinking about it, uh, maybe I've got a prototype or I've mocked some things up or heck, maybe I've even got some early people who've either maybe given me some money or invested a little bit already or maybe signed up to be customers with an early, early prototype. But there's not really a business there yet. Um, that program is run by Alex Taylor, um, and that's very close collaboration with Nuboco. The intent there is to say, look, we can kind of be, I don't know, training wheels maybe sounds uh, infantile, but that's not the intent, right? It's to say, look, I can help you 
prevent you from falling over in some scenarios. And if we can help you do that, everybody wins, right? It, it improves your odds of success. So you're, you know, in this remote program where um, you're in a group of founders working together to learn some things. Um, and a lot of it's, you know, very fundamental stuff. It's how do I build a financial model that is, you know, able to uh, help me grow this business uh, in a potentially profitable way down the road and, and win money uh, from investors who will see this as an investment opportunity. And how do you as an individual founder make sense of this mathematically, right? Uh, I had a call this morning with a founder, for example, with a, a, a product that he wants to build. Uh, he's got a prototype, and yet he's never actually put the math into a spreadsheet before to say, okay, how does it work over time? How do my costs move and et cetera? They've just never gone through that step. And it, it's not rocket science, um, and yet it's a step that everybody has to take, right, um, as you do it. So the accelerator program helps you take some of those early fundamental steps. Uh, the second tier is for people who maybe they've done a lot of that basic stuff. They've maybe got some early revenue. This is where ISA Ventures is going to write a, a bigger check, typically in the hundred thousand, sometimes up to half a million kind of range. And depending on you know what you're looking for, the high, the more you're looking for, the more I don't know, more strenuously we're looking at uh, expecting you to have things in order, things buttoned up, things put together. Um, you know, and at that stage, it's got to be. I can really clearly articulate uh, the core components of the business plan. Um, I know why my customers value this. I can articulate how big the market is. Um, I can show you how the math will work in my spreadsheet, and I can play with some assumptions and show you how the chart and the curve will change over time for profitability or gross margin or whatever other things uh, you need to communicate. Like that stuff's all done, right, at that point. Uh, so by that, that, that second stage is maybe a little more typical of where investors are expecting founders to be. Um, most investors don't even talk to that early stage. That's what the accelerator is kind of for. And then that, that third stage, you know, when we're writing really big checks, right? These are usually for really mature, very organized founders. Uh, sometimes they're, um, they founded a company before, they were part of a startup before, so they sort of have experienced it um, and they know what that's like. The leadership team is very, very strong already. Whereas in that second stage, usually the leadership team is one or two people and they know, well, I need a vice president of marketing or I need a sales leader or I need a product person or whatever. Um, you know, if we're investing a million dollars, in most cases, they have all of that already, right? So they're just further along um, as they do it. So, and there's a lot more than that. We have this whole checklist of like 50 items that we're looking for and then questions from those, but maybe that gives you a good, good overview. Do we have any companies right now that are in that third stage that you're talking about? Uh, yeah, yeah, there's a whole bunch of them um, uh, around the state. Um, you know, we work with one, um, there's one called um, uh, Mason Animal Health is maybe an example of one. They're out of Ames. And, uh, you know, they essentially have figured out a way to put uh, vaccines into corn to feed to pigs and cows and chickens and things. Doesn't sound maybe that exciting, except the way that that's done today is you send people into the, you know, the barn full of pigs and they're wearing a full hazmat suit and then they got you know syringes and they're stabbing every single pig and injecting them one at a time with all of the vaccines and you can just imagine how i mean it's not a fun job for one it's expensive for two and it's kind of dangerous right you got like needles breaking and you accidentally stab yourself and you know it's just a miserable job uh their technology lets them just feed the pigs special corn seed corn meal in their feed and bang they're vaccinated that's amazing. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the thing when you when we looked at uh, investing in Jenny, Jenny's company, um, that was maybe 18 months ago. Uh, you know, she had just built an incredible leadership team. Uh, she had her ducks in a row, eyes dotted, T's crossed. It was like it. She's just a very mature founder and, uh, you know, very experienced founder. 
and um, it, was, it was really impressive. So yeah, we swung pretty big on that one, for example. You know, that brings up a good question. We talk a lot on this podcast about um, the concept of failing forward, the idea that you can't make progress unless you're willing to screw up. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's something when you're, you know, there, there, it seems like there's a couple of different ways you could go as you're both investing in startups and advising them. Uh, and one is like, you know, slow and steady, but there's the potential that you might miss an opportunity if like if the market that you're in is really hot and it's like, wow, we should move on this. We should go quickly. Uh, but at the same time, if you swing really big and it's a miss, then that could be a huge, you know, that could be a very painful mistake uh, and one that might have been avoided if you moved more cautiously and built things up more carefully. So how do you make that determination that no, we should go really big on this versus, okay, careful, careful, you know, we're going to build incrementally here. Um, how do you determine that? Yeah, um, you know, I, I bet somebody out there has a really graceful framework for describing um, that decision uh, because every founder faces it every day, all day. Um, this morning we had a conversation with a, uh, someone, a friend of mine, who was a part of a, a business, still is, uh, that grew really, really quickly. And she was talking about how in a few times in the company's history, they had way overspent on marketing. Um, And, you know, uh, they had just gotten way ahead. They ended up attracting customers that were not ideal. And then when they came in, realized, whoa, these customers cost a lot more to service than the ones we were servicing before. And it kind of tilted the whole business in a way that was bad for the business. And they ultimately had to rearrange some things uh, because they just went too fast and um, weren't maybe thinking through all the the implications of that Mm -hmm. choice and that decision. Uh, so, you know, when we work with founders, uh, the the decision to go fast or slow manifests in hiring. It manifests in how much capital do you raise, how much money do you spend, how quickly. And in, uh, for venture-backed companies in particular, there's sort of the, I put my foot on the gas and I pray that, you know, six or 12 months when we're out of money, investors will come in and put some more money in. Because we're spending this money now, we're going to accomplish this goal, this milestone that will impress them and then they will put mo- more money in. Like that's, that's one way to run a business, and that's a very viable way to run a business. It's very high risk. We have others who are, uh, you know, are maybe on a little more conservative end. They're like, I'm going to run this business as profitably as possible because then I don't have to wait for an investor to save me. Um, we can just make money. We can just survive even if it's not as quickly. We can have that. And most of them are kind of in the middle, right? But I think the, the conversation that happened to be this morning was founders need to be really intentional on describing which of sort of posture they want the business to take that they're optimizing for. Because you kind of can't wiggle around. You kind of got to choose one or the other. Mm-hmm. And then that will permeate every decision made in the business, you know, from marketing spend to how fast you hire to, um, you know, how, how quickly and how much focus you put on raising capital, for example. Yeah. So I know one of the more recent developments uh, with the fund, and we were talking about this at the very top of the show, is that uh, CareSource has launched an opportunity investment fund in Iowa and that ISA Ventures is going to work with them to manage that. Um, can you talk a little bit about yeah. that, uh, about, about what's what's going on with that? Yeah, it's a, it's just an interesting opportunity. Um, so CareSource, well, well, first of all, ISA Ventures only invests in Iowa companies. So it literally is limited into companies that are uh, either have their headquarters here or the bulk of their employees here. Uh, CareSource is a Dayton, Ohio-based uh, health insurance provider. They focus on Medicaid and a few other uh, populations in, uh, in how they um, build their products. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're uh, launching in Iowa on the exchange in January. And as they've entered other states, you know, they're very, it's a very regulata- regulated market. They enter state by state. And when they've done this in other states, uh, they have built a venture fund there um, saying, look, 
we want to be a part of this state. It's not our home state, but we want to want it to be a place where we work with the population there and try to improve uh, the, the health of people who live there. And so one way they do that is by investing money in startups in the borders of that state, focused on things in the healthcare space, and in particular ones that will help them with, you know, uh, how do you make a, a patient population healthier, right? That's what they're looking for. Uh, they're also interested in backing uh, non-traditional founders, diverse founders, um, who maybe aren't the uh, average upper middle class white guy like me. Um, how do you find people who, uh, maybe have uh, uh, maybe more challenges to overcome, and how can they help support them? Uh, CareSource is a nonprofit, uh, which is kind of cool that it's a nonprofit with a venture fund, which sounds sort of like a contradiction, except it's not. You know, from their view, they see it. I think they they see it as we want to invest money in the communities that in the populations that we serve. We're not totally caring necessarily about like making many multiples on the money. It's about sure we want the money back, and we want maybe make some money on the deal. Uh, but it's really about improving the health of the populations uh, where they where they serve. It's a, it's a great organization. And so ISA Ventures is going to be sourcing and vetting companies to mm-hmm. be considered for this. Um, how do you do that? Yeah, so it's the same way. Well, here's, here's the cool part of it. Uh, right now, we already look at basically every single deal in the state of Iowa. Um, that's our, our focus. Uh, so And then within that, healthcare is one area where we focus pretty heavily. Um, that's my background, my business background in the healthcare industry anyway. So we have a, a pretty heavy portfolio um, of companies in the healthcare space anyway. And the way it's going to work, we're already out talking to these companies. And when we identify one uh, that fits the criteria that CareSource has given us, we say, hey, we're going to invest in this company for these reasons. Would you like to invest also? And uh, they will have a, their own team and their own decision-making process, but they can choose to go along or not with, uh, with ISA Ventures. And it does say that uh, companies who are interested in being considered uh, for investment from the new fund can apply at isaventures.com slash care source. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you want more information, just email hello at isaventures.com. Yeah. Um, if people want to know information about the general ISA Ventures, is, would they go the same route or is there a different path you recommend that they take? Yeah, I mean, you know, here's, this is maybe a pro tip for anybody who's thinking about raising capital. Uh, you know, reading the website of the people who you're trying to raise money from is a good idea. So if you're from the Philippines and you email us and say, hey, can you invest in my company? Clearly, you didn't even read our website because uh, one <laughs> of the things it says is we focus on Iowa-based companies. Is that like a quirk or does that happen a lot? Uh, it happens a lot. Um, I think it's just sort of uh, maybe the mode that a lot of founders are in. They just sort of email anybody who they think can give them uh, invest money in their business, which is, you know, and it, it as an investor, it's sort of like, I'll try to help anybody I can, but if you know, obviously not even taking the minute to read our website to see what we focus on. I'm not going to spend time with you. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so certainly spend some time there. ISAventures.com uh, has sort of an outline of the, the types of companies we invest in. It's got a list of the companies we've invested in. Um, and it talks a little bit about the way that we work and the things that we think make us, uh, make us different. Um, yeah. So I'm curious, Eric, because you have, um, you've, you've had a very, storied career, um, you know, with the, the founding of Geonetric and, uh, and helping that to grow and then coming over to, to found and, and, and run NuboCo for a long time. Uh, now you're working on the fund, you're working with all these different entrepreneurs. Um, building businesses and supporting entrepreneurs is clearly something that is very important to you. Why is that? You know, um, I guess there's a, there's a couple of things uh, that, that get me uh, up in the morning. I mean, one is uh, working with founders who are trying to solve meaningful problems in the world is, is just amazing, right? I mean, the example before I mentioned about Mazen, 
right? We have to feed a few billion people. Population's growing quickly. We need to do it more efficiently um, and preferably healthier for everyone. Um, And so, you know, when I think about what we're investing in in the future, like these are the technologies that are things that people are going to take for granted 10 or 20 years from now. Things that seem maybe really wild right now, but they're, they're pretty simple. Um, such that 10 years from now, it'll be like, well, of course we do it that way because that's the way it is. Um, we invested in a company, for example, that does uh, wastewater treatment with algae, um, for example. And uh, it's more uh, better for the environment in particular, um, uses less energy, produces less waste and less carbon. Um, it's a great, uh, great for the environment and great for, for everyone. And, you know, if we could replace a third of the water, filter, uh, water treatment plants in the United States with this technology, it would have a huge impact uh, on society, on the uh, footprint uh, of that industry, for example. Uh, we have another one uh, that uh, we invested in that takes recycled plastic pellets from all the stuff when you put your recycle bin out, right? Um, they take those pellets and they mold them into huge pallets for moving solar panels around, which doesn't sound like it's that exciting, except that uh, the way when solar fields are installed or they're decommissioned, people use wood pallets, and then they pretty much throw them away in almost every case. So the very green solar industry has this little secret where really they're you know throwing away thousands, millions of pallets of wooden pallets every year, which is not green at all, when you can use recycled plastic and uh, ship them around and reuse those pallets over and over and over again. And then when they're you know broken, you melt them down and do it again, um, which makes a lot of sense, right? So again, these are things that when I get up, what makes me excited about helping entrepreneurs is knowing, well, A, I get to help someone in their life choice to do something kind of crazy. But really, it's about these are things that the world needs. And if I can help them get there one or two or 5% faster, um, or more likely to get there and solve these problems, uh, this is the coolest job ever. Have you got one in particular that when you look back, you're like, I was really glad I was part of that? Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's a bunch of them, but is there yeah. any one that like jumps out in your head? Is like, oh yeah, that was really really cool. Wow, I mean, they're all really cool, but in different ways, right? Some of them are it's just software that helps you do something better than you did yesterday, and um, you know, it maybe it uh, solves a problem that just takes time. You know, um, we have one that, for example, that uh, is just software in the real estate industry. It helps people who own real estate just manage all the the bills and the um, uh, rent payments from tenants and all the leases and all the complicated stuff that I personally hate dealing with, right? And that's I, like I don't think of that one as one that's like, well, this is changing the world for the better, uh, you know. But it's something that every real estate owner needs, and it makes their jobs better. And so it's brilliant, right? It's it's amazing, amazing product. Um, but, you know, when I look back, uh, I don't know, there's, I, I, I'd hate to pick one single favorite. I I'm guess asking you to I'd pick your favorite I, kid, yeah, aren't yeah, I? I can't, I can't really do that. <laughs> uh, you know, the one, um, nah, I, I mean, it just, they're, they're all solving different kinds of problems in different ways. We wouldn't have invested if we don't think there's a meaningful um, outcome that, that is, is worth worth the hassle, right? In fact, I've told a bunch of founders uh, many, many times, and this is very common in the accelerator, you entered the accelerator and we invested a little bit of money just sort of sort in you. We're investing in you as a person. And now that we both know a lot more about the problem you're trying to solve, is this really what you want to spend your life on? Like choosing to do this is kind of a decade long project, right? In most cases, right? You're, you're kind of in and you're going to sacrifice your, maybe your relationship with your spouse, time with your kids. Uh, you're going to take a second mortgage to make this happen, whatever. Uh, is this really the one thing? Cause you can't really do two. And uh, so we sort of filter already for things that are we think are meaningful to society, that uh, things that could be better than the way they are today. 
Well, I, for one, I mean, I, I've always been, um, I've always been impressed by the work that, that New Look has been doing. It's one of the reasons why I love being part of the team. And I get to do a lot of marketing communications work uh, with the Startup Accelerator. And I've seen so many cool things come through there. And it's kind of fascinating that you hear somebody put an idea out there and you're like, okay, A, I would never have thought of that. And B, I can't, now that you mention it, I can't believe that doesn't already exist. Mm-hmm. Like, that's brilliant. You know, uh, I mean, I, I got to know uh, the guy who was, who was working on Haggle, mm-hmm. you know, and it's this thing. I would never have thought, hey, you know, there should be like this rental program for farm equipment that you're not using where it's like, hey, I got this thing sitting in the field. It's not doing anything. I could make money off of it by having another farmer use it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet once, uh, you know, once he pitched that idea, I was like, that's amazing. That that's so cool. And, and there's so many like that, um, just so many of the, the concepts that are coming through there. It's, it's really exciting to see not just these genuinely cool businesses that are going to be helpful for people and are going to solve a problem, but also these entrepreneurs who are kind of like putting their heart and their passion into a business and making something work. And so I think it's fantastic, the work that the Accelerator is doing. I think it's great that Ice Adventures is making it possible for more of them to do that. Uh, and that you're kind of shepherding them along the way. So uh, if nothing else, um, thank you very much, Eric, for um, for helping to make these pro- these these programs happen and uh, and helping these people to realize their dream and basically bring a service to the rest of us. Sure thing. you know, and I think what's what's really interesting about that is uh, even the ones that we're investing in, we have you know these models uh, that sort of break the investments down into categories and make some assumptions about um, you know whether they're likely to be successful or not. And as they make progress, you know their odds of success improve. Um, you know we sort of expect that at one in a hundred, one in ten, somewhere between that, right? You have a ten to one percent to ten percent chance of probably ultimately being really successful um, in the long run from those early stages, right? The odds are against you in every which way. And we're already filtering even to get to that point, right? So this this idea of having conversations with entrepreneurs early on of, hey, I want you to think about this idea that you've got. Yes, it makes total sense and it's a great idea, um, but there's probably a hundred other people who have this idea, right? And you don't want to admit it, um, but there probably are. Um, it's very rare that the idea is so completely new that nobody's ever heard of it or thought about it before. As a uh, screenwriter, I can tell you how true that is. <laughs> right, but it's very similar. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right, and there's entrepreneurs all over the world thinking about these problems. Uh, and so, you know, this idea of who's going to talk to that, sit down with that founder, and say, "Are you really going to spend your life on this?" And like, the odds of success are against you. Are you really ready to steal yourself for you know a few years to find out? Um, and like, the, I, I want, I, I think the conversation we're trying to have is. Like, it's not something you sort of dally in, right? You kind of got to go or don't go. You can't really do it halfway. I feel like a Yoda quote should fit right in there somewhere. Um, you can't really try. And, you know, and, and just be, who's going to have that conversation with founders to say, I talked to four other companies in the last six months who are doing exactly this idea. Um, and just as an example of that, um, you know, there's this idea of some, and one of them's going to win. Uh, I don't know which one, uh, but we've had several companies we've talked to where they more or less say, well, I can bypass uh, the grocery store and you can get your meat or 
vegetables from a locally produced direct producer of those goods, whether it's an existing farm or um, in one case we're doing one, we've invested in a company that does some really cool stuff with uh, vertical farms where it's all grown inside, right? And it's delivered to your house the same day. We've talked to a bunch who do that with pigs and cows and chickens or eggs or whatever. And it's like, that kind of makes sense to a certain degree, right? That people want the freshest possible food. They want it to be produced close to their homes, uh, you know, for green impact or freshness or nutrient nutrient value, whatever. Um, there's a lot of reasons why it makes sense, but there's not going to be thousands of companies probably that ultimately are going to be successful. And so, you know, sometimes we choose to invest and sometimes we choose not to invest. And, you know, part, sometimes that's because we either do or don't believe that that particular one is likely to win. Um, if you remember back in the day, there were dozens of social networks out there. And then there were a few now who are kind of the only ones really standing you know, and hopefully they get taken down and replaced with something better. But, uh, you know, the RIP Friendster, <laughs> RIP. Exactly. I remember. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> and, you know, the technology changes over time, the markets change over time. And so a lot of times we're just maybe having those tough conversations with founders about, yeah, and, and we could be wrong, right? That's the other part of this weird job, especially as I'm making investment decisions with our team on when and where to invest, we're going to be wrong. And, you know, I, I, in our, when we say no to someone, the last sentence in our little uh, letter is, we want you to prove us wrong. Like, go out and be successful and then rub our noses in it that we didn't make millions of dollars by investing <laughs> in your business, please. Like, that, that's just the name of the game. But um, I guess I hope we're at least having honest conversations with founders about, you know, when we hear what they're, they're saying, at least giving them feedback on it. And they can choose whether they take that advice or, or go along and do what they do anyway. So... Well, I, I love the work that Ice Ventures is doing, and I am really excited to see what future companies lie down the road, what, uh, what's going to, what the future holds for us as far as entrepreneurs in Iowa. And so thank you so much for coming in, Eric, to talk yeah, about it. Uh, appreciate it, Rob. And if I can, um, you know, I think I'd, I'd like to put a little bit of a plug in here. Uh, you know, ISA Ventures is this capital provider in the middle of this uh, this sort of puzzle, but we rely really heavily on our friends at Nuboco who are doing this spade work behind the scenes and, um, you know, the stories of the work that's going on there, not to just, uh, you know, I, I realize that I founded it and you work there and I still work with those folks every day, but like, I just want to acknowledge that that's true uh, because you can't just throwing money at a problem doesn't solve these systemic issues that we talked about of why people are leaving the state of Iowa, right? It's not just dollars, right? Sometimes it's access to mentors and resources and sometimes that perspective. Or employees. Uh, employees, know. absolutely. Workforce issues, absolutely. And so Nuboco is making a lot of the, the solutions possible around what we're doing. In our tiny little slice, um, we rely on, on partners like Nuboco to make that even, even better for the state of Iowa. Well, we love what we do. You know, it's great to have a mission that you believe in. And uh, that's a big thing that drives me every day. So thank you so much, Eric. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, thanks so much to our guest, Eric Engelman, for coming onto the show. Um, Eric, if people wanted to talk to you more about some of the stuff we talked about today, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, probably easiest. Uh, hello at isaventures.com. That I will get that and it will help make sure we route it to the right person or hit me up on LinkedIn or Twitter. Hey, if you love the show, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also visit our blog, nubo.co slash blog, to find key takeaways summarized and detailed. This podcast is produced and distributed by the LAS Media Group. For more information, go to lasmediagroup.com. Finally, we sure would love it if you'd think about making a donation to Nuboco. Your contributions to our nonprofit help us continue to serve innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs across the state of Iowa. To learn more, visit nubo.co slash donate. 
Eric, I got to tell you, as my former boss, it's kind of uh, kind of weird to to have you as a as a podcast <laughs> guest. Uh, I still am like nervous as I'm asking questions. Like, don't say the wrong thing. Don't say the wrong thing. Um, but uh, I'm a no. really scary boss. I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously though, it, it's been great having you here, and uh, this was a great conversation. Um, and uh, and yeah, and on a personal level, thank you again for bringing me to the New Boco team because uh, you were actually the one who reached out to me uh, and let me know that there was an opportunity. Um, and I think the the words that you said to me at the time have always stuck with me, which was that you said. Uh, you said, I don't know where we would put you. I just know that we would really like to have you as part of our team, uh, which meant a lot to me. And I think that that's actually a great way in general to approach building a team, which is, um, you know, you, you find somebody who you want to work with and then you figure out the best way that they can help you as opposed to, well, this is uh, we need to put somebody in this job. Let's go out and look for somebody. Um, because it, and, and honestly, Nubico has, has quickly become like my, my favorite place that I've been. Uh, so thank you for that. Thank you for bringing me here. You are you're so welcome. And uh, you know the superpower, I suppose, or the maybe the thing that's most interesting to me about building organizations is collecting creative, eclectic people who can get really cool stuff done that nobody's ever done before. And it's straight up the definition of Nubico, right? High risk things that nobody in Iowa has ever done before. That requires a different breed. I uh, appreciate you joining the team and helping make it real. Absolutely. Uh, if somebody wants to refer to me as a different breed, I, <laughs> that's been my life all through school, but I'm glad that now it's a compliment. <laughs> thanks so much, Eric, and uh, thanks for listening.